0: Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. Uh, Like Matt said, my name is Paul. Uh, If I haven't met you yet, welcome. So glad that you're here. I hope that you have felt welcomed. Um, If you have any questions about Sojourn or what it looks like to follow Jesus, I'd love to chat with you afterwards. Dodds, uh, Matt, uh, any of our elders, or really any of our members, we'd love to get to know you more. so grateful that the Lord has brought us together like this, this morning, uh, in his province. Look forward to learning your story, sharing a little bit of ours. Uh, and just enjoying the fact that the Lord has brought us together this morning. I'm grateful to be here, to be sitting under God's Word together with you, and to be preaching this sermon as we continue our series through the book of 1 Thessalonians. I remember my first time realizing that I was on kind of autopilot, cruise control, in my Christian life. I was a new believer in college, uh, which was a bit unusual at the university that I was a part of, that I went to, I think there were only 6% evangelical Christians, so I came to faith in college, and I remember one day, it was, I think my sophomore, junior year, I was walking across campus with my guitar case, and I was headed to our weekly Christian fellowship meeting, and one of my friends, he knew where I was going, and he said, why, are you go, why do you go every week? And I remember being arrested by that question. I said, like, why, why do I go every week? It was a question that led to a couple of conversations with the campus pastor for the Christian Fellowship. It led to a late night evening conversation in the fraternity house with my fraternity brothers about organized religion and religious practice. In hindsight, it actually was a really strengthening experience for me to ask just a basic question. Why do we go every week to this weekly gathering of Christians? But i tell you what I wasn't thinking at the time was this is really good for me to be asking this question. It was kind of an anxious moment in my life. Do I believe this stuff? Is there a point to any of this? And that was just the first of many times that this has happened to me um, over the course of my Christian life or living in a time in our culture in which lots of people are asking lots of questions about life. There are times of great stability in history and times of great flux where things seem to be moving and shifting. And we're in one of those times right now. Lots of things that shifted or are continuing to shift in part due to the pandemic, probably also other specific factors, and in many ways also just due to the gradual progress of life in the world. It's nothing new for me to even asking basic questions um, about why I do the things I do. It's a normal part of the human experience to ask questions, to doubt previously held convictions, to wonder if there's a point to all of this, to make progress only to be kicked back a couple of steps uh, by our failures, by the failures of others around us to live up to what we're called to be, to wrestle with unmet expectations. We look at our commitments, our responsibilities, our habits and ask, is this helpful in my life? Is this where I want to be? Is this the thing that I need to be doing? This passage that we come to in the Bible is one of many, I think, that brings us clarity and encouragement when we're walking through seasons like this. The church in Thessalonica, by many accounts, is struggling. They're unmistakably experiencing the mercy and grace of God. The Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and he writes very positively about all that's going on in the church in Thessalonica, which is a little bit unusual. If you're familiar with the letters of the Apostle Paul, he usually writes to churches and gives them a specific word of rebuke in addition to encouragement. So he writes to the church in Corinth and says, why are you letting all of this sexual sin go unaddressed? Why are you suing one another, believers? To the Galatians, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Why are you departing from the gospel? So usually there's these specific words of rebuke, but not in the letter to the Thessalonians. He speaks very highly of the Thessalonian church. They're clearly experiencing the mercy and grace of God But at the same time, they are being painfully persecuted. Um, This is probably one of Paul's first letters that he wrote. It was either this or Galatians. Um, And this is a few decades after the ministry of Jesus. The church had received the gospel. It was transforming their hearts and lives. But Jesus hasn't come back yet, and people have started to die. They've had brothers and sisters die in the face of persecution, in the face of just getting old and passing away. They've become closely acquainted with the fact that even when the gospel reaches and transforms a person, a family, or a community, the pain and disappointment that accompany life in the real world don't just disappear. This is a church in the real world in need of a reminder of the hope that they have in God and in what God is doing even when they can't necessarily see it. So Paul writes this letter to remind them of what's true, to point them very specifically to their hope. We began last week with a sermon in chapter 1 where Paul is talking about what God is doing among the church in Thessalonica evangelistically. The word of God is going forth from you, despite what you might think the word of God is doing, what the word of God does. Today, we come to a passage where Paul talks in particular about how God is working among them. He wants the Thessalonians to see that God is working among them, and to know what it looks like to lean in and continue to experience the mercy and grace and power of God as he ministers to this church. And so today, in the midst of life in the real world, with all of its problems, at a moment today in which the gospel is receiving opposition, as it always has. In this passage, we're going to see Paul point at three key ways in which God continues to work in the church. And so let's jump in, beginning with the first thing that Paul points out. First thing that we see in our passage in answer to the question of how is God working in this church? Paul points to, this is probably Paul's main focus in this passage, and it's this. God works in the church through the ministry of faithful pastors. He works in the church through the ministry of faithful pastors. Paul describes his ministry among them, his, alongside Timothy and Sylvanus, who's also known as Silas, in the book of Acts. And he talks about his ministry as a way of defending himself from some of the accusations that are coming from those who are persecuting the progress of the gospel. Uh, And as Paul describes his ministry in self-defense, really, uh, he gives us this beautiful picture of God's design for the church and the role of the pastor in the life of the church. We get a close-up view of the humanity of Paul in this letter. At other times, sometimes, the humanity of Paul gets eclipsed by his apostolic authority when Paul is unpacking some glorious, rich theological concept. We kind of lose sight of Paul the human and just see Paul the messenger of God. Not that he's being inauthentic, but... Here, it's, it's, it's less that. We see Paul, the pastor. We see the heart that Paul has for the Thessalonians. I remember my first pastor in college, where I was going to this fellowship. Uh, his name was Glenn Goldsmith. Um, he wasn't the best preacher or public communicator. He wasn't going to pack a stadium with his preaching voice. But the example that he set for me continues to be influential in the picture that I have for what it means to be a pastor. Whenever I had a question, his response to me would be, let's go grab a coffee and talk about it. And whenever we sat and talked about it, he had his Bible with him, and he would open the Bible several times as we were talking, and I knew that this was a man who loved God and his word, and also that he loved me. He was a minister of the word, but he was a minister of the word to me. Over the years, I'm grateful to have had experience with pastors who have seen their calling like this. Um, I hope that you've had plenty of experiences like this as well if you have a background in the church. But one of the reasons that experiences of pastoring like that are so meaningful is that that's exactly what a pastor is supposed to do. When we see Paul talk about the work of the pastor in here, that's what we see. In his words, we see the two primary responsibilities of the pastor, responsibility to the word of God and to the people he's pastoring. So first, let's look at this. Let's look at how the pastor is responsible to the word of God. Look at verse four. Paul says, we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So Paul, here in verse 4, gives us two key phrases for what it means that a pastor is to be a minister of the word. He is first entrusted with the gospel. And then second, he speaks the gospel. Not to please man, but to please God. So he's entrusted with the gospel, and he speaks the gospel. Being entrusted with the gospel means that the pastor is, in essence, a steward. The Word of God is just that, it's the Word of God, it's the Word of another. The pastor is a minister of the Word, but it's not his words that he's ministering. It's the words of God that he is responsible for ministering, for stewarding, the words of God that he has received in the Bible, to guard and to keep on God's behalf. And when we think about what this means, this is a profound truth. The Gospel that Paul preaches is not Paul's message, it's not Sylvanus' message. It's not Timothy's message. When I preach a sermon, when I sit down to minister the gospel to a person, when I answer questions from someone about what Christianity is, it is not my message that I can shape and tweak however I see fit. This is God's message. This is God's gospel. We have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Furthermore, not only is the pastor entrusted with the gospel, but he's also someone who speaks the gospel. We've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. So the message of the gospel is, in a basic sense, an announcement of good news about who Jesus is and what he has done. And it is not meant to be taken and buried until Jesus comes back. The gospel is not some hidden secret to keep protected so the people that get it dirty when they touch it. It's not something that's only meant for the personal growth of the person who receives it and hears it. It's a message that's meant to be received and then proclaimed. The pastor is not merely a steward, but also a herald, an announcer. He keeps the gospel faithfully as a steward by proclaiming it. Paul goes on in verse 9 to say this. He says, For you remember, brothers and sisters, our labor and toil... We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while, what does he say? While we studied and kept the gospel very carefully, airtight in our studies. No, he says, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. The pastor is both a steward and a herald. He's a minister of a word that's not his own, but the word of God. And he ministers not by keeping it to himself, but by proclaiming it. This is the first of the pastor's primary responsibilities. He is responsible to the Word of God. And secondly, the pastor is responsible to the people he's pastoring. In acting, uh, if you've ever been in theater or been in a play, you'll know the concept of the fourth wall. It's this concept in acting where if you watch a play on the stage, there's the three walls that you can see, the sides and the back, and then there's the fourth wall, which is in front of the stage, which is invisible, of course, so the audience can see the play, and it's unusual for actors to break the fourth wall to address the audience directly. Oftentimes, it's used for humor because it's so unusual. I'm just here watching a play. And what I'm, why are you making me involved? I just want to watch the performance. Um, and often, plays, ha- entire plays, happen without breaking the fourth wall. The work of a pastor is decidedly different. There is no fourth wall. Uh, for the work of the pastor. The pastor doesn't just get up and preach a sermon that's nice and polished and then disappear into some green room, never to be seen again. The pastor is responsible for ministering the Word of God to actual people. That's what I'm doing right now. When I wrote the sermon, I thought about a number of you specifically as I was writing this sermon. As I'm looking at you, I'm, I'm addressing you directly. This is a message from God through His Word, by His Spirit for the church. Listen to how the the Apostle Paul writes it. Verse 1, he says, You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. Paul could have said it very differently. He could have said, one could suppose that our ministry was honest. That's not how he talks. He doesn't talk in some detached, third person. He says, you, yourselves, brothers and sisters. He goes on to describe what this means. I want to read verses 5 through 12. Just listen to Paul describe what the ministry of the pastor actually looks like. Verse 5 begins like this. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or for others, that we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. And here we go, verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We'll stop there. We were like a nursing mother taking care of her children, is how Paul describes himself. He came in a way that was gentle even as it was corrective, in a way that was vulnerable and connected. Notice the words of deep affection. We were affectionately desirous of you. When Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy came ministering to the Thessalonian Christians, they didn't come preaching over them. They came down to their level. Picture a mother picking up her baby and looking her in the eyes or getting down on one knee to address her son eye to eye. There's a real presence, a connection, one of service, of nourishment for the good of the child. We didn't come with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed or seeking glory and compliments from others. Paul didn't use the Thessalonians to minister to himself. He gave himself to them as a minister. He didn't come to be served, but to serve And not just as a mother, but also as a father. Verse 11, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you. As a father, Paul emphasizes the role of the pastor as educator, as one who sets an example, as one who gives particular encouragements and exhortations and charges. One of the great privileges of being a pastor at a church is leaving the pulpit and getting to minister the word one-on-one to people. It's one thing to hear a general encouragement or exhortation from the pulpit, and it's a wonderful thing when this happens. But it's another thing to be looked in the eye and be given a specific word of encouragement of exhortation and this can at some times come in the form of honest confrontation when you're struggling with a particular sin issue the pastor can help you understand whether you're just a foundering disciple or whether you're in high-handed sin Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think it was in Life Together, he talks about the role of the pastor and he says the challenge of of seeking wisdom as a pastor is knowing when a brother needs to hear a word of mercy or a word of rebuke. Sometimes a brother might confess a sin and might, might, might be contrite and beating himself up and the pastor needs to say, you need to, brother, take a breather, go get a coffee, enjoy the mercy and forgiveness of God you've been forgiven in Christ. And sometimes a brother might confess a sin and the pastor needs to look him in the eye and say, you need to cut that out. It's better for you to lose your hand than your soul. You're killing yourself and those around you. Now, as a side note, there's no need to deduce stereotypical gender roles here. Uh, The mother is, you know, there's there's things that are attributed to mothering and fathering. Of course, the father will also be gentle and nourishing to his children at times. The mother will be exhortative and make charges to her children at times. This is also not limited to the pastor. Of course, brothers and sisters in Christ can nourish and encourage and be gentle and exhort and, and so forth. This is not to make rules. It's simply to observe in a really beautiful way. Paul brings in the aspects of both mother and father into the ministry that he sees as his work as a pastor. And so in summary, in the words of John Stott, like a steward, Paul was faithful in guarding the gospel. Like a mother, he was gentle in caring for his converts. Like a father, he was diligent in educating them. And like a herald, he was bold in proclaiming God's word. I think there's two primary leadership errors that happen in the church. Either the pastor shies away from ministering the the Word of God in the fullest, or the pastor goes beyond the Word of God when he ministers to people. For the pastor who shies away from ministering the Word of God, picture the pastor who avoids dealing with all of Scripture. He skips over the uncomfortable parts of Scripture, tells a lot of jokes about them, and then moves past them. The pastor who never sits down to consider how God's word might be helpful to a person even when it makes them feel uncomfortable. This pastor leaves his people hungry and neglected because he's not giving them the food that they need. On the other hand, picture the pastor who goes beyond the word of God. This is a pastor who might have a series of best practices to apply that have nothing to do with the Bible. Or maybe they're based on biblical principles, but they go a step beyond leaving people only thinking that they need to try harder and do more. Or picture the pastor who is domineering, whether arrogantly domineering or winsomely domineering, uh, under the guise of being helpful. You should do this with your life. Who seeks to bind your conscience beyond the word of God, who usurps your authority in your own life. This is the pastor who loads burdens on people's shoulders and abuses the authority God has given to him. Instead of making either of these errors, the pastor was given to be a faithful minister of the whole counsel of God and to stop there. And to entrust the rest of the work in a person's life to God through the Spirit. So in a moment in which the Thessalonian believers are wondering whether what they're doing makes sense. In a moment in which they're in need of reminder of how God works among them. In a moment today when we may be wondering how God is continuing to work among his people and building up his church the first thing that we see in this passage is that God works through the ministry of faithful pastors, through pastors who understand their role as stewards, who act in ways becoming a loving mother or father, who give themselves to exhortation, encouragement, to charge them to walk in manner worthy of the glory of the kingdom of God. Devoted to the ministry of the word, to the ministry of the word, to the people God has placed him with, where this is happening, even if imperfectly, you can trust that God is at work. Some of you may, may aspire to this office. Some of you may, may be elders in the coming years. This is something that I pray for. It's something our elders actually prayed for a couple of months ago for future elders in our church. Most of you won't be pastors, though, but this passage is just as important for you. It's important for all of us to know what the calling of the pastor is, in one sense, so that you can understand and see when you're not getting it, so that you can go find a faithful pastor to sit under. But also, primarily, So that you can pray for and encourage your pastors. So you can know what it looks like to respond faithfully to the ministry of your pastors. Which brings me to the second way that Paul points to. That God is working within the church. And that's this. God works in the church through the faithful response of the people to the ministry of the gospel. God works through the faithfulness of his people. Have you ever heard the phrase, let go and let God it's a, it's a common way of referring to a living a life of surrender to God, and it can be helpful in many instances in ministry with one another, especially in evangelistic settings. Picture a conversation with someone who is, seems to be curious about Christianity but is having a really hard time because they feel like they need to come up with answers for everything. You could say, let go of that desire to have everything figured out. Let God fill in the gaps um, in his time. Be patient with him as he is patient with you. So let go and let God. Or you can picture somebody who's having a hard time leaving something behind that they really want to keep hold of, but it's preventing them from following Jesus. You say, let go and let God. Let go of that thing and let God fulfill you in ways that you can't even imagine now until you let go of that thing. So there are times in which that it's, it can be less helpful and there's no one-size-fits-all to the work of evangelism, but there's times when that... Phrase, let go and let God can be a helpful thing for people to hear. i heard it uh, in my journey to faith several times in ways that were helpful and timely. But if you're asking a question about what it means to grow spiritually as a Christian, then let go and let God is actually less helpful. Because that's not actually the picture that we get in the Bible for what it means to grow as a Christian. What it, while it's true that God is certainly the one who's doing it all, in spiritual growth, it's also true that God often doesn't just do his work in us while we sit around and do nothing, but he does his work in us through us. Look at verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So here Paul points to two things. First, the Thessalonians received the word of God. They accepted it, not as the words of men, but as the words of God. And second, as a result, they became imitators of the other churches of God who were also in Christ. They received the word, they accepted it, and they became imitators. Let's consider this for just a moment. To receive something is a concept that can be understood variously. It could be just communicate the concept of a successful communication. Did you receive the text that I sent? Yes. My phone went bing and I see the red dot. I received it. You can go step beyond that and say, did you read the text message? So not just a successful transmission, but did you read the words of the text? Yes. Received. Message received. I read it. But then you can go beyond simple transmission and basic engagement to did you actually respond in the way that was intended? Did you do what was asked of you? Right. And this is a full sense of what it truly means to receive something. And this is what Paul is talking about here. You receive the word of God and you accept it. In. Let me say my dad sends me a text inviting me to spend Thanksgiving with him. I have a couple of options. I could say, message received. Thanks, dad. Leave it at that. Or I could say, thanks, dad. I would love to come. I plan to be there. It's better. But then there's also the question of do I actually go to celebrate Thanksgiving, which is the original purpose for which he sent the text. In the first place. When Paul says that the Thessalonians received the word, accepting it as the word of God, there's a lot more than simply hearing the word proclaimed. To receive the word of God is to appropriate it, to not just be hearers of the word, but doers also, as James writes in James chapter 1. When we consider what it means to engage in spiritual growth, in seeing the work of God in our lives in an ongoing fashion, the verbiage that we see in the Bible, the wordings that we see are things like lean in, press on, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Phrases like this, that sound a whole lot like we put a lot of effort into the process ourselves. But all of this begins with receiving the word of God God works in his people as they receive and accept his word, not as the words of men, but as words from him for us. We thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word from men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So it's worth pausing for a moment to observe here that the way that we receive things that we are taught has developed somewhat over the past 2,000 years. Think about the way that you receive information. The methods of communication, the media that through which we get information have exploded um, over the years, over the I should say decades, over the millennia. For most of human history, to put it this way, until very recently, you didn't hear another person speaking unless a flesh and blood human being in your presence opened their mouth and started to speak. For most of human history, until relatively recently, you didn't hear another human being singing unless there was a flesh and blood human being in your presence who opened their mouth and started to sing. Now, we have people speaking and singing into our ears constantly, through speakers, through headphones. Have you ever been on the phone with someone and realized they've been talking for a few minutes and you have no idea what they're talking about because you haven't been listening? Have you ever been watching a movie or a show or listening to a story or something and you realize, hang on, I need to pause and rewind that because I wasn't paying attention to what I was watching. A number of leading thinkers in our day have pointed out that we are in an age of distraction, that we are perhaps the most distracted generation in human history. Because we have grown accustomed to multitasking and this constant flow of information, we have a learned buffer that tunes out the noise because we simply can't handle it all. Most of what we hear goes in one ear and out the other because there's not space. We don't have attention to give to all of the information that we're taking in. And now this isn't necessarily bad in every way. In many ways, it's good to have opportunities that people didn't have before to be connected to others, to learn things, to grow in certain ways. But it is important to be aware of this. We may have been nodding just a moment ago when I was talking about receiving the word of God and accepting it but I want to challenge you to pause and ask this question of yourself. What does it look like for you to actually receive the word of God and accept it? In the context of a life that I know for most, if not all of us, is marked by an inundation with information that has us practiced at listening and losing most of what we hear, what does it look like for you to really receive the Word of God? What does it look like for you to consciously open yourself to the teaching of God whenever you encounter the Word, whether it's being preached or read or lived out in community? I don't think the answer needs to be altogether that complicated to that question. There's not really a necessarily new answer. In fact, coming out of how Paul addresses things in this passage, there are three practical notes that I want to kind of observe for us, for what it could look like to receive God's Word intentionally. The first is this, before you're about to enter into an engagement with God's word, ask God for his help. Paul speaks very confidently in this passage about what is going on when he speaks. When he speaks, God speaks. When we spoke to you, you received it, not as the words of men, but as the words of God. I think that we can benefit from joining Paul in this confidence that when other people speak God's word, It is God ministering through his word and by his spirit. And as a result of that, it would be wise for us to ask God to do this work on purpose. So whenever you open the Bible to read or to listen, begin with a word of prayer. Lord, please reveal to yourself or reveal yourself to me through this word. What do you have for me today? Whenever you recite a memorized passage of scripture, include a quick prayer. Lord, please weave this truth into my heart afresh. Whenever you're on your way to meet with a brother or sister or on your way to a parish gathering, ask the Lord, Lord, help me to be present with this person or these people. Help me to see what it is that you're speaking to me through this experience. Help me to shine your light, the light of your word, into this person's life or this group's life. Whenever you're getting ready to hear a sermon, have you noticed, you might have noticed a few months ago, we started praying before reading the scripture every week. I think we did this in the fall. We didn't used to have a prayer before the scripture was read. But now we have every week, Lord, please open our eyes to hear your word. Each of of us as elders can praise a different prayer for illumination, asking the Lord to speak to us as we read his word and hear the sermon preached. It's a way that we're trying as a church to model what this looks like. And you could even add a little brief personal prayer at the end of that. Lord, please help me to be present for the sermon. It's remarkable what conscious presence can do when you're present and ready to receive. It's remarkable how often I look back and think of the many opportunities that I've had to receive and accept God's word that I just was just too distracted to pick up what the word was putting down. And so the first suggestion is this, ask for God's help when we know that we're opening or preparing to engage with his word in some form or fashion. And second, uh, uh, the second suggestion is this, in the moment when the word of God is being ministered, make note of it. Verse verse 13, Paul says that when they received the Word of God, they accepted it. He doesn't specify what that means, but just a couple of thoughts here. One of the time-tested practices of engaging in a life of prayer or engagement with God's Word is journaling. That's one simple example. When you read a passage of Scripture and journal in response, whether you're answering questions in Bible study or whether you're just journaling on a blank piece of paper about the things that you think that the Lord is speaking to you, this is a great practice of pausing to accept. God's Word, to digest it, to meditate on it, to enjoy it, and to savor it. Or if you take notes during a sermon, you're, of course, not going to write down every word that you hear, but you might write down a few key phrases, things that you, you believe that the Lord is, wants you to remember and digest a little bit later. Another option is that I had a friend a couple of years ago who, whenever she would hear a uh, this was during sermons or when she was with friends be a, a word of encouragement or a word of fatigue, she would say, I received that sometimes is it? <laughs> sometimes someone would say something and she would not <laughs> but that's, we'll talk in 1 Thessalonians 5 Paul says test everything so you don't have to receive everything but once you've tested something and you decide that this is something that I should receive from the Lord, it could be helpful I actually adopted this practice, you may have heard me say it in conversation before I received that just a moment of intention, just that phrase in the moment. I received that from the Lord through you. That can be encouraging to the person who spoke words. I did not know that. And it can also be encouraging and memorable for you. The third suggestion, of three, is this. Afterwards, so we talked about before, you engage with the word, ask for God's help, pray. During, try to make note of it some form or fashion. And then the third suggestion is this. Talk about it afterwards. God is always working. And often, unless we address it out loud and name it out loud, we'll miss it. Think about what Paul is modeling here. He says, you Thessalonians have heard and accepted the word of God. You became imitators of the churches that are in Judea. I have to believe that there were some Ryans, some Nates, some Sarahs, some Mistys, probably some Deborahs and Brutuses and, you know, Sylvanuses in the church in Thessalonica whose countenances would have lifted. Paul says, this is what God is doing among you. And they probably would have thought, huh, you're right. This is what God is doing among us. This is what's happening. It's not that we don't think that the Lord is teaching us something. It's just that we often don't think about it what the Lord is teaching us, and as a result, we can feel stuck. One of my favorite questions to ask is, what has the Lord been teaching you lately? or some variation of that. It's a question that forces someone to slow down and reflect upon the past few hours or past few days or weeks or months and think about what has the Lord been doing. And often I can tell by the look on someone's face that they haven't been thinking about it. And so you're thinking on the fly, and you're asking, what has the Lord been teaching me? And that's just fine. I'm the same way people ask me that question and I'm reminded, gosh, I haven't stopped to think about that. The past few months um, have been for me somewhat difficult. I've felt stalled in a number of ways in my life. And I've had really thoughtful people who've asked me, Paul, how are you? Or Paul, what is the Lord doing through this? What is the Lord teaching you? And they've stopped and slowed down enough to listen. And that's forced me to slow down and realize that even though I felt stuck at times, the Lord has been doing some of the deepest soul work that he's done in my heart in a long time. And that is through something very, very simple. Through being asked, what do you think the Lord is doing? Through noticing it aloud. It's so important to testify to God's work. The word of God does not return void. It is at work in you believers, is what Paul says. But it's easy to miss it because we can focus on all kinds of other things, especially in a distracted age. So it's important to notice it aloud. And those are just three suggestions that I think we can draw from this passage. There's many others as we consider the scriptures of what it looks like to intentionally engage with and receive and accept God's word. But here's the thing, to continue in Paul's train of thought. He goes on to say, you became imitators of the churches of God that are in Christ Jesus. If we are truly receiving God's word, then at some point, by God's grace, we will give ourselves to do the things that the word says. We will become imitators of other churches who are also leaning into the ministry of the word of God. Listen to the words of uh, William Still. He's a Scottish pastor from the mid-1900s. He said this. For 50 years, in one place, I have preached through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, New Testament and Old Testament several times. I've written daily Bible reading notes continually since 1947 and have commented on the whole Bible several times. Now, the principal product of this is not a mass of sermon notes, statistics, or a pile of booklets containing at least probably two commentaries on the whole Bible. The product is the lives that are loving and serving Christ in various parts of the world to truly receive the ministry of the Word of God. To truly accept the Word of God is to accept it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God. Which means to accept God's Word as marching orders from a good and loving king who is leading us on the, along the narrow path that leads to the way of life. At some point, if we're truly receiving God's Word, we will give ourselves to doing the things that it says. And to be clear, this doesn't mean that we... Adopt all of God's word all at once, immediately, when we receive and accept God's word. That's not how the Bible talks about spiritual growth. When Jesus taught us to pray, he didn't say, Lord, give us this day all of the bread in the entire world to eat in this one moment. He said, Lord, give us our daily bread, one bite at a time. This is a community in Thessalonica that devoted themselves to the ministry of the word, and they did so together, one step at a time. The journey of following Jesus takes place one step at a time, one sermon at a time, one passage at a time, one bite at a time. By God's grace, this is enough. Patient, faithful, following, a long obedience in the same direction, as Eugene Peterson referred to it. This cuts against the grain of our distracted age. Listless and in search of joy and meaning and purpose and fulfillment that you can find in one TikTok video or YouTube message. Cuts against the grain of that, but it is so much better because it actually leads to life and fulfillment. You see from Paul's language here, their imitation of the churches in Judea appears to be a fruit of the ministry of the word among them, not a goal. The Thessalonians probably weren't sending scouts to the churches in Judea to come back with best practices to say, hey, here's what they're doing, so we should do it like that. That's not what was happening. They were giving themselves to the word of God, and it was at work in them because and as a result, they became imitators of the other churches of God. In other words, it happened by accident. Here's what Paul's saying. If you are devoting yourself to the word of God, just like they have. Uh, so if you've been devoting yourself to the word of God, just like they have. And wouldn't you know you started to look like them? When you're drinking from the same fountain, you'll begin to look the same. Which brings me to the third thing. It's critical for us to notice in this passage where Paul's confidence lies, permeating this entire passage. Indeed, this whole letter is an abiding confidence. You see, Paul's confidence is not in himself, it's not in Timothy, it's not in Silvanus, it's not in the Thessalonian believers and their ability to receive and accept God's word. It's in the power of God through the gospel. Over and over, Paul talks about the gospel of God and what it does. The fact is that God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory through his word, it is this God who is at work in you believers through his word. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says something that crystallizes it. Listen to what he says. He says, when I came to you, brothers, speaking to the church in Corinth, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So at a time when we might be asking, how does God work in his church? Paul has shown us that God works in his church through the ministry of faithful pastors. How does God work in the church? We've seen how Paul addresses the Thessalonians and what they've been doing. And so he says, we, we, we see that, the, that God works in the church through the ministry of faithful members who receive and accept the word of God. But the third way is this, which is key. This is the fundamental idea that undergirds those other two. God works in the church simply through his word. It's terribly simple, but it's, it's so foundational to the confidence that Paul has as he writes this letter to the Thessalonians. When Paul speaks of the gospel, he doesn't speak of it as though it's some information that will help them to live better lives. He speaks of the gospel as though it is something that has power in itself, something that moves and changes and works powerfully, something that advances, that bears fruit, that has creative power. And this isn't surprising for us. If you're familiar with the story of the Bible, God's Word does a lot of things in the Bible. In the beginning, when God created all things, He created all things through His Word, When he created Adam and Eve, humanity, he gave them his good word to lead them on the way to life. When they chose the way of death, he gave them his good word as a promise that would sustain them until he would send the Redeemer. When he delivered Noah through the flood, he didn't miraculously pluck Noah up, he gave Noah his word. And in obedience to his word, Noah was led to the way of salvation. When God delivered his people in the story of the Exodus, he delivered them out of slavery in Egypt to where? To the foot of Mount Sinai, where he gave them the most precious gift of all. His word. When they wandered away from His word, what did God do? Instead of abandoning them, He sent them prophets to bring to them God's word. And then, ultimately, in the New Testament, we see that the Word of God is the Son of God Himself, who took on flesh to secure our salvation. When we think about where Paul's confidence rests in this passage, in the Word of God as it works powerfully among the brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, his confidence is well-founded. The church has been entrusted with the task of joining God in the renewal of all things. The challenge of the work of gospel renewal is that ministry of the gospel is always met with opposition. Paul addresses the suffering of the believers in Thessalonica who were experiencing societal upheaval in response to the ministry of the gospel. But if we pause on society for just a moment and think about personal renewal, the key change that the gospel brings is not informational, it's relational. It's the shift from self as the locus of control to an external authority. This is the fundamental reason why the gospel is always met with opposition. We don't want to give up allegiance in our lives. The most difficult mountain to move is the mountain of the human heart. But by God's grace, the kingdom of God is progressing. The gospel is continuing to go forth transforming hearts and families and communities. It's interrupting the way of the world. Here in Thessalonica, we read in Acts 17 that it's turning the world upside down. That famous verse from Acts 17, this message that turns the world upside down, that's the apostles' ministry in Thessalonica that provoked that comment. And how is this happening? Not through human will or exertion or intelligence, but through the power of God, the gospel of God, the word of God, as it is ministered among the people of God, empowered by the spirit of God, in a way that brings life and light and joy and peace. And so in the midst of a dark world, marked in many ways by persecution and pain, what did the Thessalonians need Paul to do? More than anything, they needed him to give them the word. And that's just what he's done. He knew that he would do a shabby job in his own strength and wisdom. Instead, he points them to Christ, feeding them not with his words, but with the words of God. We've been talking about spiritual growth for some time as elders, with the help of some members here at Sojourn Heights, and at the fundamental level, one of the things we've realized is when we talk about spiritual growth, we're not talking about some complex matrix first. We are talking about cultivating space where we can engage with one another in the Word of God. It might look like sitting under a sermon. It might look like opening the Bible with a few friends. It might look like attending a parish gathering and figuring out what God's doing in our community. It might look like sitting under a teacher in a uh, sojourn equipping class who is gifted and and empowered by the spirit of God to proclaim the word of truth. Whatever it looks like, it is God working in the church through his word. This is the promise of of this passage. This is the promise to us sojourn. God has given us the gospel. He's given us the word of God, which is at work in us by his grace for us to receive and accept not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. What does it look like to experience the work of God in the church? What does it look like to seek answers to the questions that we are so often asking? What does it look like to lean into what God is doing in the church? It looks like leaning in to the ministry of the word. And as we do, we get to watch as the gospel does what the gospel does. It grows church pastors into men who lead with integrity, ministering a gospel that is not their own. It leads to church members growing into people who are able to respond with trust and faith, trusting in strength and power that is not their own. And all of this, help Through the word of God, filled with the spirit of God, in the presence of God, walking day by day, gradually more and more into the image of Jesus as the gospel does what the gospel does. So what is... The next step for you to take along this journey, so journey. When I think about my job as a pastor, when I think about our job as elders, I picture a tree. I'll we'll close with this picture. What does good tree farming look like? I don't I've never been a tree farmer, but you can imagine being a good good tree called tree farmers. Arborist? Sorry is probably the technical term. What does a good arborist do as a tree is growing and too mature? Does the arborist set up you know, rails and direct every single divergence of the path. No, that's not what really a good arborist does. The arborist may prune at times, and they set up structural support to keep the, the tree from being broken in half in the wind. But for the most part, what is the job of the arborist? Where is this tree getting its water? Can we make sure this tree is getting enough water? What is the water that I have to give as a pastor? Is it my own intelligence and words and abilities? Heaven is no. It's the word of God. What does it look like for us to drink from the streams of living water, surgery, but to avail ourselves of the ministry of the word because that is where God works among us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for this passage, this wonderful encouragement about how you work among your people. Help us to drink the water of your word together to trust in you through the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. Help us to follow your word as the roadmap to the narrow way that leads to life. Help us to minister the word, receive the ministry of the word, minister it to one another with patience, one bite at a time, being content with our daily bread, knowing that as our good Father, you give us enough for today. We might want more. Sometimes we might want less. But we know that you give us just what we need. So please continue to nourish us and feed us. Help us to grow in integrity as pastors. Help us grow in faith as a church as we receive and accept your word. And help us, Lord, to look more and more like Jesus uh, and to fix our eyes on him who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.